featuring all its best from the king of instruments on community keyboards. Welcome to this edition of Community Keyboards on air and online. As ever, over the next hour, I'll have music from the King of Instruments in all its guises, with everything from classical and theatre organ pipes to digital electronic organs and keyboards and beyond. I'm joined by two guests this time, Peter Jepson, who provided the lunchtime concert entertainment recently at Stockport Town Hall, and we'll be taking a trip across to the Victoria Hall in Saltaire to meet multi-talented keyboard star Andy Quinn. Well now, one of the first things I was taught when I started to broadcast back in the early 1980s was always to check the equipment you are using, a bit like doing all the pre-driving checks in a car, I guess. When I met Peter Jepson a few weeks ago, after some 36 years since he last appeared on the programme, all was well with a couple of recordings I made of him at Stockport uh, Wurlitzer, but for some reason the short interview that followed the concert failed to play back. And sadly, I only discovered that once I'd returned home later in the day. The reason? Well, I suspect the batteries expired in the portable recorder I was using, so, well, guilty as charged. Not to worry, though, because I do have an archive copy of a 1983 edition of my old Sounds Organised programme, in which Peter was one of the guest organists invited to open the Christie organ in its then-new home in the Bluecoat School in Oldham Town Centre. During his March medley, Peter explained to me about his connections with the Lancastrian Theatre Organ Trust, who owned the Christie back then, and for whom he was appearing at Stockport on this latest occasion. In a sense, then, all's well that ends well, and as Peter mentioned to me at Stockport, 2019 marks the 50th anniversary of his association with the LTOT, and here he is at the 420 Wurlitzer with a very appropriate Golden Mile.
Peter Jebson at Stockport Town Hall with the March Golden Mile. And whilst I must apologise to Peter for my technical faux pas with our chat a few weeks ago, let's hear what he said back in 1983 along with Blaze Away. Featuring in concert the Oldham Bluecoat School Christie Theatre Organ. association uh, in fact with this organ didn't begin until this afternoon because uh, <laughs> I, I'd never played it when it was in the Odeon at sale but the uh, the reason that I was here this afternoon is that I once recorded an LP with Reg Liversidge you see at the Gaumont Manchester and uh, sadly of course uh, Reg isn't here anymore but uh, I was asked to come and open it this afternoon along with uh, Nigel and Doreen so that was the connection really uh, it's more a connection with the Lancastrian Theatre Organ Trust than with the organ itself. How did you come to, to first start to play the, the cinema organ, Peter? Well, I consider myself very lucky, really, having been brought up in Blackpool. Um, and as a teenager, I used to go down regularly to the Tower Ballroom to listen to dear old Reg Dixon. Uh, particularly, I used to enjoy his live broadcasts on uh, the light programme. The atmosphere then was really tremendous. And it was really that that uh, fired my enthusiasm. Uh, I'd been learning the piano from an early age, and also I went on to the church organ when I was 12. Uh, and I, I've really tried to keep all three going since. In your, uh, your programme this afternoon, you play some very, um, very interesting pieces of music. How did you select your uh, items for the program this afternoon did you sit down beforehand and and try to plan something in in connection or that would be appropriate to the opening of the uh, the organ this afternoon peter well i, I yes i had given it some thought about what i wanted to do uh, to be truthful the actual final decisions were made in the car coming over uh, on on the m62 but um, what i tried to do was partly to reflect the fact that i am a blackpool organist 
but at the same time to pay a little tribute to Reg Liversidge and to the LTOT for all that they've done for me by trying to recall one or two memories which I hold of the uh, organ concerts which used to take place particularly at the Odeon Cinema on a Sunday morning and I, I was privileged to play in one or two of these so that's why uh, I included for instance uh, The Miller's Daughter because uh, at these concerts you would hear Enid Powell sing beautifully and that was one particular song which stuck in my memory so I put that in this afternoon uh, just as a little bit of nostalgia I've asked Jack Doreen previously about her views on the future of cinema organs not just here in Oldham but, but generally speaking do you think with with the age of the electronic organ uh, now heavily upon us that there is a definite place for cinema organs um, in, uh, in, in this part of the world and indeed in the rest of the country I'm sure there is. Um, I personally feel that what is important when, it, when an organ perhaps is taken out and rebuilt somewhere else, it's tremendously important where possible, it's not always possible, to look to the acoustics of the building because I think that the acoustics matter very much. And this is why I think it's a good thing that this, this organ's been put in, in a large hall in, in a school, and that's tremendous because they're going to obviously interest the pupils here which is what it's all about, because we've got to look for organists for the future. I think there is definitely, yes, a place for the cinema organ alongside the electronic.
Radetzky March, music and memories from Peter Jebsen, who is still as busy as ever, and although the organ is no longer in the Bluecoat School, it is enjoying a superb new acoustic in the Low House Catholic Church in St Helens, and will continue to feature it on the show from time to time. Now, fancy a cuppa? Until I heard that arrangement of T for Two, I only ever really enjoyed one version from the much-missed governor Brian Rodwell, who combined the Vincent Human's composition with There's a Small Hotel, Baubles, Bangles and Beads and Stranger in Paradise, all played pretty much simultaneously as a sort of a concert party piece. What you've just heard was performed entirely live by Andy Quinn on Yamaha HX5 Electone. Now, I had seen Andy's name dotted around the concert pages here and there, and when I spotted a billing at the Saltair Wurlitzer last month, I went along to meet the artist. Andy Quinn is one of the most established performers on the scene. Indeed, the phrase international recording, composing and publishing artist goes no way to describing his enormous contributions to keyboard music.
and I'll be chatting with him after the break. So to take us there, here is Andy live at the Cadogan Hall with A Nightingale Sang in Barclays Square.
from the nostalgic sounds of the theatre organ to the latest digital home keyboards. It's right here on Community Keyboards with Ian Wollstonehome. So please give a warm welcome at the mighty world it's Andy Quinn. <laughs>
from time to time on the programme over the years, it's been nice to just sort of think almost kind of outside of the box. And that's exactly the thing that we have today with, with uh, my next guest on the programme. Delightful to, to welcome Andy Quinn to Community Keyboards. Andy, you're very welcome. Hello. Good to be here. As I say, outside of the box, because until very recently, I hadn't come across your your name in the organ and keyboard world. I mean, and yet you've probably had one of the most diverse, remarkably varied careers that I can see on paper, at least. I mean, let's talk first and foremost because you're here in Yorkshire at the uh, the Victoria Hall today um, to to play a Wurlitzer organ concert, mm. and yet. If somebody types in Andy Quinn on Google, the theatre organ isn't the first thing that jumps out. Is this a kind of a re-found interest of yours, Andy? I'm obviously going to have to have a word <laughs> with my organ agent, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, although it wouldn't be fair to say re-found, really. It, it, keyboards and organs have always been part of my musical life. But in terms of doing gigs and performing, not so much. Mm. I, I started off as a performer and very much thought that that was what I was going to do. And from a child to my late teens, I did lots and lots of gigs. I used to do summer seasons at holiday camps and things on organs and whatever. Um, and then when I went off to uni, I kind of... Well, I'd already had an interest in composition. And when I went off to uni, I kind of discovered this interest in writing music rather than performing. And that's the direction that my career took. So although I have tried to maintain a certain amount of performing, um, it's really only the last five years or so that I've really, you know, I got, kind of got to that age where, you know, you, you start to, to look at things and you think, well, you know, I, I used to be a gigging musician, you know, and that, that's what I always intended to do. And... Uh, Time's getting on a bit, so I really fancy doing a bit more playing. So that's exactly what I've been doing the last few years, getting you, back into. You say you always wanted to do this kind of musical pursuit, Andy. I mean, were you supported back when you were a young lad, as we might say, by your, your parents? Yeah, absolutely. Were, were they musical at all? Um, not in the traditional sense, in that uh, my father was a sort of amateur music maker. You get a tune out of, you know, harmonica, clarinet, you know, piano, accordion, whatever, but never had any formal training. My mum uh, had an interest in classical music, which is, I think, what informed my early music making and, and she'd had ballet lessons and things like that. I remember her taking me along to see the, the Royal Ballet's Nutcracker. I mean I must have been about five and uh, it had an real, made a real impression on me and I think you know till about 10 or 11 I was just completely absorbed in the classical music world. We didn't have a piano at home. My parents used to visit my aunt who had a piano in her front room and apparently whilst they were chatting I used to go and uh, sneak into the, the front room and play the piano on the strength of what I was doing because I remember none of this but on the strength of what I was doing they decided to buy a piano which for, for working class parents at the time was quite a, a major investment funnily enough uh, the piano was a Lindner which is, uh, which is a Dutch firm made in Ireland and of course they're famous probably for being the worst 
piano ever made. <laughs> I had one actually. Did you? Believe it or not. Uh, yes. Well, uh, you, you see, most people I thought it was the only one that existed. So I no. nice to Well, mine is done. still working fifty plus years later. Mostly, people find them in skips. But I think if you look after them reasonably well, they're actually a perfectly decent piano. But uh, yeah, they bought me this piano and, and paid for piano lessons, which was a significant thing mm. for them mm. to do. But of course, without that support, you know, you've got no hope really of, of, of being able to do it, you know, unless you've got people behind you that are well, basically uh, enabling, you know, my dad used to drive me everywhere to, to concerts, to gigs. Uh, sadly, my mum died when I was quite young um, because um, I think she would have really loved to have known that I, I did eventually go into music professionally. But uh, yeah, dad, uh, you know, an endless uh, carting Hammond organs upstairs and things to get. Yes, it's, you know, yes, some, you get some muscles too doing that. Um, but yeah, you know, without that support, of course, I couldn't possibly have done it.
I think I'm right in saying that you um, could have had you had a scholarship at the Royal College of yeah. Music, but yeah. you turned well, it down. Well, yes, my mum died. That she'd been suffering from oh, cancer for a couple of years, no. and and she died that year. Oh. And we had fairly recently moved out of London to the East Coast. And so I'd made a new lot of friends and just sort of get settled in. And then I had this opportunity to go and study in London. They, I, I believe, they told me at the time I would have been the youngest person ever to have gone um, at 11. But, um, you know, mum died, uh, we'd just resettled. And I said to dad, I just don't want to do this. You know, I, I really can't, you know, sort of just settled into a new school, just made some new friends. And um, so... I decided to just carry on having private music lessons at the time with a, with a piano teacher called Melvin Weston, who was very, very supportive of my writing. You know, he, he helped me with, with the compositional side of things and took me through all the grades and whatever. So, um, and looking back now, I'm kind of glad I did take that route because, um, amongst other things, my, my elder brother was a major influence. We, we lived on the coast where pirate radio stations were, were all the thing. We had Radio Caroline, Radio sure. North Sea International. But we used to listen to this stuff all the time. And, and that really, you know, I, up to that point I'd been really classically yes. minded. And then I was hearing all this different music and rock music and progressive rock music, art music. Jazz came into the scene as well. And um, so I'm so glad that I took in all those influences. FM and online at oldhamcommunityradio.com This is Community Keyboards with Ian Wollstoneholm. 
when you when you graduated and you wanted to get out into this big wide world of very precarious music making at mm. least I remember my parents telling me that I was one of those yeah. youngsters who sadly would have loved to have done the sort of thing that you you were doing when I would have had the skills and talents and other matter but there was often a, a lot of um, resistance at that time mm. you became really sort of out there in terms of putting your name into places like the uh, the DeWolf mm production company which people may or may not have heard of but if you do look at that I can see that that was a very strong influence yeah. In, in, yeah. in what you do. Well, How did it come about? It came about because when I was working at Keel, um, both as an undergraduate in the studio and then subsequently we had various visiting professionals and people coming to use the studio it was a professional 24 track studio there and, and a very nice one too in the countryside in the in one of the stables building of the mansion house that used to be Keel Hall so absolutely lovely setting and people used to come and hire the studio but one of the people that was associated with the studio and also actually taught on the Keel course for a while was a chap called Tim Suster who's a BAFTA winning film and TV composer and um, he sort of came into the studio and realised that one or two of us had become quite expert at using this computer that was uh, the latest thing, it was called the Fairlight Computer Musical Instrument and um, this machine could sample and record any sound that occurs and then play back from a keyboard and so, so it's a really innovative, hugely expensive I and mean, it was the same price as a house at the time. Yeah. 20 plus thousand quid which back in the, the late 70s was a lot of money you know um, so we were very lucky to have access to this well Tim sort of realized that there was a lot of potential for this thing so um, he'd asked me to do some work on the Fairlight on some of his albums that he was doing for DeWolf so as I say I was playing with this rock band at the time and uh, Tim said well if you ever get fed up with that do send a demo off to DeWolf I think they'll be interested in the kind of thing that you're doing so um, what happened, as I think quite commonly happens with student bands when after the university, is we, we got a little cottage in the middle of the countryside where we used to practice and we, we play. But we were all electronics graduates and we built a very, very nice PA system. And it eventually got to the point where we were making more money from hiring out our PA <laughs> for other bands than we were actually playing. Plus, a lot of the guys got married and moved off, so we started off as a seven-piece band, ended up with three of us. So I did what Tim had suggested, sent off a demo to DeWolf, because um, I really knew nothing about them at the time, but they, they are the largest uh, publisher of, sort of film and TV and production music in the world, and the oldest, and also involved in cinema organs, but that's, a, that's a, another story which we'll come to a bit. But um, yeah, so I, I sent off this demo and they actually called me the next day and said, do you want to do an album? So I thought, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess people wouldn't get those kind of breaks unless you were in the right place at the right time, and clearly you were. But so much these days, luck. That, that. It's so much luck, it's so much being in the right mm. place. The, the Fairlight was the in yes. instrument at that time. Uh, Kate Bush, Peter Gabriel, all these people, Stevie Wonder, they were all using the Fairlight. And so that the sound had become uh, sort of the, the, the latest thing in pop music. And so DeWolf were, I think, very interested to capitalise on that and get out some music for film and television and advertising using those Fairlight sounds. So it was just pure luck, really, that I just happened to be using this thing at that time. Um, and, of course, it became very, very popular. My first half dozen or so albums for DeWolf 
Um, you know, some of them were in the, the top ten most used um, production, you know, TV music stuff in the world. Um, so you know, they became very, very popular, used all over the place. And one of the, the, the my favourite uses was the the ITV teletext. It was quite funny actually because uh, when I first got my my wife laughed at me when I first got my uh, royalty check because she said, "Is that all?" And I said, "Well." What, what's happened is there's a bit of a dispute going on in that ITV were claiming it was a public service and they didn't need to pay royalties. The PRS, however, took a different view and said, well, no, it's broadcasting, you know, and so, they, so eventually it ended up doing very well. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the music went on loads and loads of adverts and TV theme tunes and things in the sort of early 80s. Um, and so I was very, very lucky. It's fair to say, isn't it, Andy, that if, very rarely does a, a TV programme or a day pass by when some of your music isn't on mm. there. I mean, um, we think of the Mongolian advert, for example. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you, you're there in the background constantly. Is that is that a useful tool for a, a modern day musician to be always in the public eye, however subliminally? Well, you see, the, the big advantage for me is that I'm not in the public eye, um, <laughs> so I have a, a great life. <laughs> nobody's interested in... <laughs> no, nobody's <laughs> prying into my life or, you know, following me around and ra- raiding my bins or anything, you know. Um, but I do have thousands of pieces of music out there around the whole world which are being broadcast all the time. So I, I have a good living from it. And for me, the, the main thing has meant that I focus to- totally on the music. There's been no pressure on me at all, R- really no commercial pressure, um, no worries about having to put out publicity and all this kind of thing. You know, I just get on with writing music and recording it, which is what I love doing. And of course, I also have time to do other things that I enjoy. Um, I mean, one of the, the, the biggest benefit for me is spending time with my kids. You know, I've had 
such a joy in, in, in being a real hands-on dad with my three children. And uh, of course, that's all changed now with my youngest having just turned, well, turned 18 last year and off to university. But, uh, you know, the, the nice thing about having all this music out there was that I was never under pressure at any time to, to have to work. Um, so, you know, I could take things at my own pace and, and whatever. On the other hand, when I look back now, I realise I was a bit of a workaholic. You know, I, I, I've been very, very prolific, you know, uh, uh, turning out. I, I think we're, we're on to something like album 87 now, which is... <laughs> um, I know, I, you know, sometimes I look back and think, well, I don't really remember working that hard, but, but every now and again I think back, yes, there were lots of all-night sessions and all this kind of thing, you know, which you forget as you get well, a bit yes. older. Certainly couldn't do it now. <laughs> Um, but great fun, you know, it's so much fun. We've um, had um, many performers on the programme, uh, Andy, who have had different reasons for choosing a particular instrument, whether it's, um, you know, well, particularly their regular organ and, and, and keyboard performers. But I don't think I've met anyone who's taken that personal requirement to such an extreme as you, because you went out and looked at the market and suddenly realised no there's no piano out there for me so you'll get a bespoke one made How, tell us about yeah. this wonderful thing which I hadn't heard of, uh, Estonia yeah, the, um, well my daughter's a, a ballet dancer and um, again you know as I say one of the joys for me of, um, of having my children all had very different interests mm. but um, Laura is very much in the arts and uh, growing up she danced with Birmingham Royal Ballet and toured the world and, and one of the fun things for me was having to chaperone her going off to <laughs> to uh, you, you know uh, Hong Kong and places like that with her to you know um, but one of the places that she she danced and in fact she's still dancing now is Estonia and um, they have a very um, it's, it, there's a very sort of Eastern, it's sort of almost Russian kind of attitude to their ballet. Ballet's part of kind of everyday entertainment. You know, people will go to the ballet every week. So they take it very seriously and they love it. And um, so we, we've sort of, um, you know, been out to Estonia many, many times. And I'd heard of the Estonia piano, but I've ne never come across one. So um, I got in touch with uh, Venno Lau, who's uh, the gentleman, he's a, he's a, a, a well-known conductor and choral uh, leader in Estonia and uh, runs the factory and said, can I come and have a look round? So he said, yeah, you know, come, come and have a look. So, so he, he came and picked me up from my hotel, took me in the car and we went and had a look round the factory. And I was really, really impressed with the pianos. So then um, I think probably about a year went by and um, I said to my wife, you know, I really quite fancy having an Estonia piano. They only make grand pianos, and um, the, 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 they, they used to provide pianos for more or less the whole of the USSR. And there's thousands of these pianos around. And people like Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky might have played these pianos. But they're not very much known in the West. And um, anyway, they've, they've sort of, you know, rebuilt the factory, set it off on a private basis, and uh, producing basically bespoke pianos and um, so I said well yeah would you make me one so they did and um, it's you know it's now my pride and joy and the, the big mistake that I made was that I wanted the kids to be part of the musical environment so rather than having the piano in my studio I put it in a room that sort of links my house to my studio big mistake when I go to work in the morning in the studio, there's the piano before I get there. 
So I then sit down, I, you know, say to my wife, I'll just have a, just have a few minutes on the piano. Three hours later, <laughs> she'll There's say, Andy, you're, you're supposed to be working. <laughs> Um, so you know, but I, 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 you know, I do have a bit of a love well, affair. A pleasant diversion. A bit of a love affair with it, but you know, it is it is a fantastic instrument, and I use it for recording, of course. And uh, that instrument is now featured on so many film soundtracks and things all over the world again. You know, so it's earning its keep as it, it, we have it. Andy, it's a, a truly fascinating career that, that you've you've had. I think well, we've had only so scratched the surface. I don't we? deserve to have had so much fun, really. That's that's the thing. You know, it, it, one of the things I think in life is obviously to, to be able to do what you love for a living. Um, and I've just had that opportunity. It's luck, really. It comes down to luck. But I've had that opportunity. And, um, you know, I, I have enjoyed pretty much every step of it, including the latest uh, kind of return to, to playing cinema organs more regularly. How long that will go on, I don't know. But, uh, but lots of fun. Andy, thank you for joining me on the programme. Thank and, you very um, much. We'll, we'll catch up again soon. On yeah, looking forward to playing. Andy Quinn at the Cinema Organ Society's Salter Wurlitzer and Estonia Nine Foot Concert Grand Piano. And you can hear my interview in full, plus some more music from Andy on the Wurlitzer, at your convenience via the programme's website at communitykeyboards.com. And if you'd like to get in touch, then do drop me an email to communitykeyboards at gmail.com or via Royal Mail to P.O. Box 997 Oldham OL1 9EB. And we also have our Facebook and Instagram pages should you wish to interact via social media. Well, that's all we have for this edition. So it's Ian Wilson home saying thanks very much for listening. Take care, all the best, and bye-bye. Keyboards with Ian Wollstoneholm.